0: You're listening to the Quince Podcast. Can India turn a blind eye towards marital rape? This question is being argued in the Delhi High Court where a two-judge bench of Justices Raji Shakder and C. Hari Shankar are hearing a clutch of petitions challenging the constitutional validity of the exception to Section 375 of the Indian Penal Code that deals with rape. Now, while this section has undergone a series of amendments over the years, where it emphasises on the importance of consent, this pre-colonial exception of marital rape has continued to tag along into the 21st century. Essentially, this exception allows marital right to a husband, who can with legal sanction exercise his right to consensual or non-consensual sex with his wife. And this provision has been shrugged down in other countries like the UK, Canada and Australia. But the big question is, why does India continue to have this exception? In today's episode, we will discuss how this exception came about, the arguments being heard in the Delhi High Court and will striking down this exception amount to creating a new offence? Joining me today to discuss this is the Quint's legal editor, Vakasha Sazdev. You're tuned in to The Big Story, the podcast where we dissect the headline-making news for you, and I'm your host, Emmat. Kasha, welcome back to the Big Story Podcast. It's always good to have you here. Uh,
1: Thanks so much for uh, for having me on. Um, It's always a pleasure to to try and be part of this and make sense of things.
0: So today, what we're going to try and make sense of is this martial law exception hearings which are happening in the Delhi High Court. And before, uh, for our listeners' benefit as well, can you help us understand the origins of this exception and what does this exception state exactly?
1: So so basically, um, as everyone knows, the Indian Penal Code came into being in 1860. It's the same law has been in place from 1860 and is still in place right now. And in fact, the original draft of that was prepared in 1839 by Lord Macaulay, uh, you know, for for, for the British. So it's a very old uh, colonial era legislation. Mm. There have been attempts to try and modernize certain aspects of it, particularly the rape law has seen, um, you know, amendments in 1983 and 2013, which were very important where they were trying to bring in make sure that concepts of consent abuse of authority all of that can sort of come into play but mm. at the end of the day this is still an old legislation and there are things about it which are there which then the legislature would have to actively change which they don't necessarily do especially if it benefits things right now for instance mm. in 2013 there was a whole set of changes suggested to uh the rape laws the justice barma committee had a lot of very very good suggestions one of which was very clearly to remove this exception because what does this do so you have section 375 of the indian penal code which defines what is the offense of rape it
0: mm-hmm. says
1: a rape is uh, a man is said to commit rape when he and then you know now we have like it's it's not just sort of penile insertion digital insertion and even forced oral sex is uh, you know falls in the definition of rape mm-hmm. now the thing is it says a man is said to commit rape if he does this to a woman and then there's a set of conditions specified that it says that if the following circumstances are met, so then there's firstly against her will, secondly, without her consent. I know that mm-hmm. it also has the stuff for statutory rape and, you know, where a woman, you know, is unconscious and, you know, inebriated and, you know, can't give consent. So all of these things, that's how mm-hmm. the, the, the definition is structured. And then you have two exceptions to it. Now the first exception mm-hmm. is one which is there for medical practices and things. That's something which was added recently. You know, where you, this is where you had, because you are now having a thing saying that, okay, if you insert an object into a woman's uh, body, this would also mm-hmm. count as rape. You had to then also obviously say that, okay, when that's for a medical procedure or intervention, then, you know, that's not, that doesn't fall within the definition of rape. The mm-hmm. second exception is something which has been around since the very origins of the IPC, which is this marital rape exception. Now, what that mm-hmm. says is that sexual intercourse or sexual acts by a man with his wife is not rape. Now, there's also mm. an age thing there, which earlier it used to, I mean, like, over the years, that's had to be changed because initially it was like a, a man with his wife not, you know, where the wife is not 10, is, 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 is you know, not lower than 10 years of age because, yeah. you know, patriarchy. Yeah. Um, that's over the years been changed. Now it now it stands at 18 years, which is the general age of consent. Uh, so, you know, mm-hmm. even if you're married, if the woman is under the age of 18, then, then, you know, this marital rape exception doesn't apply. That was something which the Supreme Court had to do, by the way. Mm-hmm in uh 2018 to make that happen mm. so 2017 to make that happen but just sort of coming back to uh the marital rape exception itself it says this is not rape now this is because of a very old concept of the way marriage and sex works in marriages mm-hmm. which is comes from english common law like from the ancient past you know you have like what's called You know, this concept of coverture, which is that when a woman gets married, she's essentially signed away all her rights of agency and consent to sexual relations to her husband. And in fact, in England, it was much more than that, right? Mm -hmm. Because essentially a woman was treated as property of her husband, you know, or she couldn't enter into contracts. She couldn't own property or anything, you know, in her own name, everything had to be through the husband. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, as a result of that, you had this concept of in that in a marriage a woman will always therefore be consenting to whatever her husband says when it comes to sex so therefore there can never be rape within a marriage that was how the mm. that's how it came about in english common law and it was originally drafted by this the it, first you see it written in this guy lord hale from like the 18th century in the wow. 1700s writing this this man was saying this stuff mm. and that became part of english common law and remained there um till finally in fact in 1991 the english courts were like you know what this doesn't work and mm. it had even actually you know that been changes to the way it was it operated and all of that but they said you know this cannot work it creates an immunity for husbands to this stuff it cannot work within the context of the way we look at modern relationships the equation between a man and woman just because a woman's married doesn't mean she loses all those rights so therefore this exception has to go mm. and that was this immunity has to go that was how it was done away with in 1991 in the UK and then in India, of course, this remains there, even though, you know, it's such an antiquated concept. And mm-hmm. if you look at, in fact, the original draft, which Macaulay wrote off the IPC, it has notes about this. And he clearly says there that this is an exception in favor of the conjugal rights of the husband. Mm-hmm. So it's not that this is, you know, there's it it, it in like the whole concept here excludes a woman's agency and her right to give consent mm-hmm. so that's the origins of this and yeah. you know so you can see that it's coming from an english common law concept which sure may have been you know what it was at the time mm-hmm. but these are the kind of things which have to change over the years and our legislature even though that's been put before them has had the opportunity to do this has not done so mm-hmm. so you know that's the sort of background where we're at and where we've reached. It.
0: Okay. Now, I mentioned at the start of this episode as well in my intro that this exception has been shut down in other countries, especially the UK from where uh, like it came about in India as well. So why has it not been shut down in India yet? Like, what is the government's stand on this? Like, why do we still have this very, very uh, complicated work Yeah.
1: It's a it's, it's a real mess on yeah. this because the thing is I mean we're of, we're one of only thirty two countries I think mm-hmm. currently in the world which still retains this. Wow. Um, and the thing is that you know it's it, it is at the end of the day you know it's, sometimes it, it's now become a joke to say everything is the patriarchy right but that's literally what this is because there is a patriarchal idea that in marriage a woman that the whole point of marriage is for a man to have sex with his wife and he has rights to do it and and this is a right and he has exclusive possession over the woman this is something which you and this isn't just a social concept this has permeated issues of law as well and this was something which was very i think interestingly brought up by rebecca john who's the senior advocate who's uh, an amicus curian you know friend of the court an expert who the court has asked to advise at the delhi high court on this and she has brought up a very, she she was able to show how, you know, there's a whole set of uh, things in the 20, uh, 20, 2018, the Supreme Court struck down the provision on adultery in the Indian Constitution. And there's a lot of very interesting things where Justice D.Y. Chandrachud talked about how the law can be used to preserve the status quo, can be used to entrench patriarchal norms and oppression of and subordination of women. That's what this is all about. And that's something which, at the end of the day, that's what, the male legislators in particular or conservative legislators uh, want and you see this so you know in india we had the law commission had been asked to look at this in the past and they came back saying oh you know what having this removing the exception would be a threat to the institution of marriage you know and this is the constant line even in 2013 when it was rejected uh, because the varma committee had said it should be removed uh, in, this, in the aftermath of the Nirbhaya incident, they were, pro, you know, proposing a whole set of reforms on the law on rape, and they said, you know what, this exception doesn't work anymore; it should go in parliament. Basically, it 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 didn't; it was not done because it was viewed that this would be a threat to the way marriage functions. Now, I mean, that gives you a slightly horrifying idea of the way we, the way marriage is a concept is understood in India even today. Um, and if you look at what the, the the central government has filed an affidavit in the supreme in the Delhi high court uh, which is hearing these, this challenge and they are saying yeah you know what law commission also said this and we think that it's uh, we can't just take this up uh, without having a broader consultation we have to take every stakeholder's opinion which basically means what the men want to want to do with this and only then can we can something be done about this nonsense So essentially it's a thing about preserving the status quo preserving a sexist patriarchal status quo and it's about ensuring that certain gender roles within a marriage are protected Um, and the rights of a husband are protected and we saw this again like you know we've seen repeated comments by one of the high court judges justice hari shankar where he keeps talking about a right to sex within a marriage he keeps trying to amend it to say oh i'm only talking about an expectation but he still believes that this that there is a difference between you know marriage and non-marriage where the parties to a marriage have a right to expect sex, and that's sort of what this is really all about. I think you know it's a protection of a husband's expectation that he has a right to sex, which somehow is still part of the discourse in India. Yeah,
0: somehow this law has just uh, this exception has just tugged long to twenty first century as well. Now I want to move to the clutch of petitions which are being heard in the Delhi High Court. Like, how did we arrive at this point, and what are they testing in court exactly? Like, what are the
1: arguments? So in 2013, you had uh, the RIT Foundation. It's, you know, it works on gender and social justice issues. They'd filed this Mm -hmm. uh, petition. It's been joined in by the All India Democratic Women's Association, which has representations made to it by women who faced marital rape. Mm -hmm. And then there's even one, one woman who has faced it. She's also filed this petition. And, you know, then there's obviously a bunch of other interveners. That's sort of the, that's where this whole thing began. Because the thing is, essentially, for a woman, there is no... Even if you're facing rape by your husband, you can try to file certain other kind of things. You can even file for try and file for divorce on this basis now. Mm-hmm. Many high courts have said, but there's a difference, right, between having a civil remedy and a criminal remedy. And the whole problem is that you know, like a criminal offence when it's com- when, it, when it's being committed. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea was to try and get the courts to understand that there is a problem here that women don't have that option. It is unconstitutional uh for this exception to exist it violates the two key constitutional grounds which it violates Mm -hmm. and therefore needs to go now what are the two constitutional grounds there are uh two articles of the constitution which are being looked at in your fundamental rights article 14 people tend to look at it as the right to equality but it's actually a bit more than that the wording of article 14 talks about the right to equal treatment by the law and what they're saying is that look you are creating an unequal treatment of married women and unmarried women the you know, when that, but solely by virtue of getting married, a woman now loses the right to say that to be able to file a case against a man who is forcing her to have sex just because she is married to this man. Mm-hmm. So it's the same offense. It's the same issue. But you're saying just because marriage is there, she's, a, you know, it, it changes. So that's one ground. And there's more nuance to it as well, which, you know, the the Amicus Curia has also argued and Rebecca John has been able to argue as well but that's broadly the, the broad idea is that you're creating a distinction for which there is no real basis that's 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 the first thing and the second is a violation of article 21 which is your right to life and over the years the supreme court has built in this understanding that the right to life is not just sheer existence or survival it's a lot of other things which come in your dignity your privacy Uh, your autonomy which includes you know your right to make to make sexual choices which include the right to say yes and no Mm -hmm. so there's a violation of that here because you're saying that a woman doesn't get to say that uh, that these married women don't get to say no to their husband even if they they want to uh, which is a clear violation of your right to dignity it's a clear clear it it creates it's, it's it's a it's something which creates harm to you it's it's causing a problem to your life um and the way you want to live it so you know it's it's a pretty, it, it's a very obvious, it's a very simple argument to understand. I think, mm. uh, you know, even if you don't understand, if, even if you're not really into the law, it's a very clear and simple argument that this is what it does. There is no real basis for this. And that's sort of where it should end. You know, you'd think logically, it's so clear that yes, there is an unreasonable classification between married and unmarried women. And there is a clear violation of a married woman's right to choice and dignity. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of what they are arguing. Um,
0: okay. So can you also speak on the arguments made by uh, like senior advocate, Replica John, who has uh, been on the show before as well. And who's also now like a Amicus Curie uh, for the court, for the Delhi High Court. Like uh, you've also recently written an article on the, uh, on what she has said exactly making her submissions yep, to the court. So, yep, Can you yep. speak on that now?
1: Yeah, so because so what's important, to remember, is that so the as we we've told you what the petitioners have argued mm. of why it's unconstitutional. Then in response to that, now you don't exactly have this is not exactly an adversarial thing, right? It's not as though mm. you got A versus B coming and fighting and saying you don't openly, obviously have anyone coming and saying no, oh, but a man should have a right to rape his wife, right? Mm. That's obviously not going to happen. So the arguments against it are slightly different. So we've seen arguments by a bunch of men's rights groups, which I mean. I know we're not supposed to, one's supposed to try and keep an open but I mean, my God, like men's rights groups. Okay. Assuming there's some seriousness to have to be given to what they have to say. Their argument is that, oh, you know, this is, there is a legitimate ground for there to be a difference with the way the law treats it. And, you know, there's a, there's a high risk of abuse of this provision if it's allowed in mm-hmm. because, you know, within a marriage people live together. So, you know, it's easy to be able to try and make up a claim about False rape. Mm -hmm. That's there. That's literally. That's all their argument is. The Delhi government uh, came in with a couple of other points, Mm -hmm. which, um, which were that okay, women already have other remedies, so you don't need rape as an. You don't need to be able to say, oh, I can go and file a case for rape because you can file for divorce. You can file a case of cruelty under Section 498A of the Indian Penal Code. You can file for grievous hurt. All of these other things that you could do. So the Domestic Violence Act is also there. Which, by the way, just to clarify, because a lot of people keep throwing around the Domestic Violence Act as a criminal law. It's not. It only. It actually is only for civil remedies. The only criminal remedies if a husband ignores it. So, for instance, if the court says, "Oh, there's a protection order for this woman. You're not supposed to touch her. You're not supposed to harm her." After she's made certain complaints. Mm Uh, and then he does that then there are criminal consequences for violation of the court order not for the actual act itself in a sense okay um but yeah so their argument is oh there are all these other remedies so there's no real so you know it's not as though uh you know the exception the marital rape exception per se is treating women differently it's just saying that that they can't use this particular remedy but they have other remedies for the same thing Mm -hmm. so you know what there's no big deal Mm -hmm. And the other thing which which the Delhi government raised, and one of the argue, argue, uh, you know lawyers for these men's rights groups men's rights groups had raised, is this also is the creation that if you remove this exception, you're creating a new criminal offence, which the courts cannot do. That is something only the legislature has the power. to do. Mm-hmm. The judiciary, when they even when they have the power of judicial review and to strike down things as being unconstitutional, you can't create a new criminal offence because that is. You know, the idea that criminal law has to be come out, you know, it has to be interpreted strictly, it's supposed to be done very carefully, blah blah blah. There's, there's a whole yeah. set of things now. That is the thing is that this has been argued very, I don't it's not been argued well, whether by these people or mm-hmm. even by one of the judges on the bench, Justice C. Hari Shankar keeps raising this objection.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it's not been argued well in the sense that you know. There is a point here and it's something which the court has to address. The high Hmm. court cannot possibly strike this down if it can't address this question. Hmm. The problem is that this question is actually very easy to address. Yes, it's a question to be addressed, but the answer is also quite clear.
0: So one of the uh, uh, justices on the bench was in support of this, as you said, but uh, was that the the general consensus or did the court have an answer for why this may not work?
1: In my opinion, there's actually... In my opinion, there's a bit of, there is a split between the two judges. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, this was actually one of the, like, this was brought up in the court because I written an article about how it looks like there's a split between the judges and one mm-hmm. of the judges made a comment about how people in general is already talking about this stuff and uh, you know, they made a bit of a joke about it. Mm-hmm. But, um, so Sorry. I felt like I think I was slightly, uh, subtly dragged there. But um, the, the thing is, there are two judges on this bench, Justice Rajiv Shakhtar and Justice Sihari Shankar. Now, look, we can't say at this point that we know who is going to rule which way or not. Mm -hmm. That's not the case. But there is a slight difference in the approach. Like Justice Shakhtar's thing kind of seems to accept that the key issue about looking at when you're trying to decide what is the offense of rape and how its exceptions have to be looked at is about consent of the woman. That is the key issue. Mm -hmm. Everything has to be looked at within that lens. That's, you know, the, that was, you know, how he, the initial Amicus uh, Rachekar Rao uh, was arguing on constitutional law issues. It was also kind of his arguments were predicated on this idea. Mm-hmm. And Justice Shakhtar seemed to be, you know, in consonance with that from the questions he asked, the comments he made. He made a comment, Francis Bamboy, that I don't know why we keep talking about this on eggshells. It is, there is no question of the relationship between parties allowing it to be legal and not legal. So, mm-hmm. you know, you know. Sh- that, that that's the kind of comments and the questions he was asking. On the other hand, Hari Shankar keeps saying, "I don't think that you that you're only looking at these arguments from the point of view of the woman. Consent of the woman is not the only issue in rape. There's a whole question of an act and everything, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, et cetera. You know. And he mm-hmm. he's he talks about how that you know look, we, you are assuming that there is no basis to say that the, that a married woman and an unmarried woman should be treated differently, but there is a difference between marital relationships and un, and you know non-marital relationships." Because of the expectation of sex and conjugal rights within a marriage, you know, there mm-hmm. is a difference and therefore if the legislature has not changed this and not got rid of this exception because they want to treat these things differently, we can't, it's not obviously wrong or so obviously wrong that the court has to strike it down.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the thing is, so what you can, what you, what this could mean, and I said, and I make this very clear, this is, this is not that this is, will happen, but the way that, that what this line of reasoning and this approach means is that while justice Shaktar will have to look at will be looking at okay is there a you know is the issue of rape a, ma- a matter of consent is a woman not being given consent therefore okay should it be struck down mm-hmm. whereas with uh justice harishankar the approach seems to be that okay maybe even these issues are there that this is not that this is preventing a woman uh this is saying that a woman who doesn't consent uh will not have this option but oh you know what our hands are tied because that's not something which we can go into it's not within our scope of what we can manage to do, because that's not what the what the legal issue is. And that's sort of where, you know, that's where this, this issue is coming. And that's why this issue of creation of a new offense becomes very important mm-hmm. again, because it's o- this only works, this sort of legal technical objection only works if you say that, okay, we are creating an entirely new offense by removing the marital rape exception. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been answered very well in Rebecca John's arguments. And, uh, you know, in in particular, she's really she's explained this, I think, really, really well. Um, She began by, you know, what we talked about, the way this whole thing began with Macaulay and Hale and English, the English law of coverture. She took the court first through that. Then she's gone into how, you know, the way the, the, the offense is structured. Man commits man. If a man does X, Y, Z to a woman and these conditions and consent are fulfilled, then it is rape. So she's broken down what the offence is, that descriptive acts, there are circumstances involving consent. Therefore, she's explained that consent is crucial. You know, that is what the crux of the offence is. Yes, it's looking at it from the point of view of the woman, but that is, this is a gendered offence. It is meant, it only, the only victims here can be women. It cannot be a man who is a victim of rape, as it's defined. So therefore, you know, you have to look at those, those issues. She then, I thought, and this is this was an, an absolutely brilliant argument. Was she looked at what is there in what the Supreme Court has previously held in the case which we mentioned earlier about the striking down of adultery?
0: Mm.
1: Now, what's important about that is that in that, Justice D Y Chandrachud made a number of very, very key observations about what marriage, uh, about how you know a marriage cannot have a situation it, today, and in terms of the Constitution, cannot allow for. Uh, an unequal treatment of the husband and the wife. If you're going to give, you know, essentially if you're saying that the husband has all these rights to agency and consent and Mm decision-making, the woman can't be deprived of those. And if you're going to have a law or a legal provision which allows that subordination, which allows that to happen, then that law cannot possibly be constitutional. And that was why they struck down adultery because that was saying that, you know, the husband mm. gets to decide who the woman yeah. can have sex with. Because, you know, it wasn't even just that a husband can complain if, a, if his wife is having sex with a man. It was that he can mm-hmm. file a criminal case against that man unless the husband had given consent. And this, is, this was in the provision itself, right? Mm-hmm. So essentially this whole, that, that legal provision in the IPC was all about subordination of the woman and a very antiquated notion of marriage where the husband had possession of the wife and therefore it had to go. In the same way, Rebecca John was able to argue. Section three seventy five is this exception to this marital rape exception. does exactly the same thing. It's saying that a woman doesn't have this right to consent. She doesn't have a right to agency. And you know, in, and the thing is, the courts have to look at the effects of something. It's they can't just look at okay, what was the objective of the legislature? What do the words say? Mm-hmm. They have to look at the uh, consequences. That's something the Supreme Court has held in the nine judge right to privacy judgment, the Puttaswamy case. Uh, it, it was said in the Naftey Johar case, the one which uh, decriminalized uh, Section three seven seven of the IPC uh, on homosexual acts. So, you know, all of mm-hmm. this stuff. Um, the court, the, the Supreme Court, has been very clear that you can't have that. You have to look at the effects, and you can't have a law which essentially is creating a subordination of women. And on that basis, it's it's very difficult to see how, in any way, this uh, of a, this exception, can remain unless, of course, we come back to that issue of creation of a new offense. But again, as Rebecca John shown very well, there are two reasons to very clearly say that isn't the case. One is that when the Supreme Court read down the marital rape exception in 2017 to remove it for you know minor girls, mm. it had already clarified that this doesn't create a new offense. It had already said it and went to the reason that, look, we're just removing, we're making something in consonance with the rest of the law with constitutional obligations. That is not Creating a new offence. And the other thing she pointed to was when the uh, the UK uh, House of Lords, which, you know, back mm-hmm. in the day, the House of Lords had a judicial, uh, you know, sort of section, which uh, was the equivalent of, say, our Supreme Court. So in 1991, when the House of Lords struck that down in, in, in England, they very clearly, in fact, said this is not creation of a new offence. This is merely removal of an immunity which has come about because it is offensive and it is not, and it is, you know, it, it, it cannot possibly uh, work within the, f- the framework of liberty. And therefore we have to get rid of it now that it's been brought to our notice. And John was able to point again to more Supreme Court judges, which have said that, you know, it is the duty of the courts to intervene once they can see that there is a law like this, which is mm-hmm. clearly a violation of, of, of the fundamental rights of, of, of a group of people. And that's what's happening here for married women. So this whole thing of a creation of a new offence is a manufactured idea which has been addressed by courts in india and elsewhere already and it is just the removal of an immunity for a certain class of people and therefore once that argument is dealt with i think everything else just sort of slides away which is where we're at really and mm. i think which is also why this there's this desperate attempt to keep bringing up this issue of creation of a new offence because there is no other argument which justifies the marital rape exception
0: mm. okay well, Vakasha, thank you so much for summing it up for us as well um, and also informing us where we are at uh, with this uh, clutch of petitions as well. And, and that is also the end of the episode. But listeners, uh, Vakasha has written a, a lot of articles on this which explain ins and out of the entire case and uh, what's actually going on in the court. So do check them out and a link of those articles will be in our show notes as well. If you like listening to this episode, please subscribe to The Big Story for episodic updates. We're available on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, GeoSavin, and most of the other popular podcast streaming platforms. For other podcasts, please log on to the Quint website and for any feedback, please shoot an email to podcast at thequint.com.
1: Thanks for listening. Log on to the Quint's website and check out our other podcasts.